This morning, Eric's been going through the Psalms of Ascent, and when me and him talked about what to preach on while he was out of town, uh, he gave me two options. I could continue through his series, or uh, many of you probably know I'm working towards ordination in our denomination, and one of the big uh, hurdles you have to do is they give you a passage, uh, they send it from from on high, <laughs> you have to translate it, exegete it, write a sermon, and then you send it in uh, back to them, and they let you know if you passed or not. <laughs> and so this, what I'll be preaching this morning, is actually the passage that I had to do for that test. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool for you all to see what part of that process looks like, but also um, it's a really good passage and reminder for myself and I think all of us mainly because it's from Scripture, right? All of them are good for all of us. Uh, But this morning's passage comes from the book of Matthew during the Sermon on the Mount. Um, You probably know it from maybe the Butides or um, maybe just different stories. It's a well-talked-about, well-read passage of Scripture, but I'm just focusing on eight verses, Matthew 6, 1 through 8. Uh, But before I read it, I want to get kind of uh, talk about what happens before the passage, what happens after. Afterwards, as I mentioned earlier, is the Lord's Prayer, a uh, prayer that we say as a group, a prayer you've probably had to memorize as a young kid. Uh, hopefully, you still know it off the top of your head. Um, if not, I highly encourage. It's very easy and simple to remember. Uh, and right before it, this passage, um, God talks, or Jesus talks about loving your enemies and loving those who do you and seek to do you wrong. So this passage sits right at the center of that. And this passage is ultimately a warning, but not a warning about sin. It's a unique warning, but one that um, is something we should listen to and take to heart. Not put onto others, but look rather inwards on ourselves. So as I read this passage this morning... Take it in, digest it, and walk with me as we go through it. But before I read, let me me say a quick prayer. Uh, Dear Holy Holy Father, pray you be in my head and in my thinking and my heart and my understanding and my speaking, Lord. I pray I become forgotten and your words become glorified, Lord. Let us focus on the things you have taught us. Let your spirit guide us. We thank you, Lord, that we are not alone. In precious and holy name, amen. Hear the words from Matthew 6. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from the Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, you are giving, uh, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen? God's Word is challenging. God's Word, if read and actually taken to heart, should be, make us a little uncomfortable. It should be something that molds us and shapes us to be more and more like Jesus. Whether you've been a Christian for three days or 30 years, hopefully, as you dive into God's Word, as you pray and serve God, your heart and mind and body is ever changed to be more and more like Jesus. This warning hit me extra hard as this was something I had to practice in order to be ordained as a pastor. I thought it was maybe not ironic, but a good message. I feel like they picked it specifically for people trying to become ordained because it starts with beware of practicing your righteousness (laughs) before other people. (laughs) One of the big things pastors do is they pray in front of people and they Uh, hopefully serve people in front of people. And so this passage isn't directly knocking, praying in public. Don't please don't take it as you never get you never have to pray in public. uh, Or that you never have to go serve uh, and help people in public where people see you. This passage, like oftentimes, God doesn't look on the outside, but rather is looking at our heart on something much deeper than what humanity sees, than what men and women see, Lord. And so this morning, I'm going to take you through this passage and focus on three things. Uh, They're on the back of your little bulletin if you got that. It's serve God quietly, follow God earnestly, and receive from God humbly. Serving God quietly. Presbyterians are good at that. We like to be frozen. We like to be quiet. We like the somberness of worship. We like that we are one of many and that we don't stand out, at least on Sunday mornings. Um, This passage puts us between two people. The hypocrite, which in Greek is also actor, which I think is important. Someone who's putting on something that's not actually what they are. That both times in this passage, when it says hypocrite, it's talking about someone who's pretending, an actor, a showman. But it's interesting, this word hypocrite doesn't mean always that they knowingly are a hypocrite. That it also can be used as a passive thing. That unknowing to them, they are being a hypocrite. That they are saying things and and getting people riled up on a notion that they themselves don't follow. Versus, on the other side, the servant, the one who serves quietly, the one who doesn't let his left hand know what his right hand is doing. Those are the wrong hands. (laughs) Um, Or the one who, who prays in a closet so that no one but God could hear him pray. And this isn't to put that if you do it out loud versus if you do it in secret, you're more righteous or less righteous. But rather looking at what if the person realizes who they are in the light of what they are saying. 
that this is hitting at pride, right? It's hitting at, am I doing this for my glory or God's glory? Am I doing this to get followers on Instagram and TikTok? Or am I doing this to serve God and bring souls to Jesus? To work alongside the, the light and, and the, the, the one who is actually worthy to be praised? Or am I bringing this for my own praise? Do I point people to myself? Or am I stepping back and pointing them to Jesus? The hypocrite the servant. And it's easy to say, I'm not a hypocrite. I do the things that I say I'm doing. But this passage is a warning because we aren't always honest. That all of us sometimes fall into this hypocrite category. And that we need to be honest so that we can take a step back and humble ourselves and take a few moments and maybe a few years and work on ourselves to point towards God. That James, in the book of James, talks about that beware of those who lead others, who teach things, for you will be judged more harshly. That if we're going out and preaching the gospel from the street corners or from in front of people on a Sunday morning, that we have to make sure our heart's in the right place. Why? Does Pastor Eric, for the past 30-some-odd years, get up on stage and preach the gospel? Was it so that he would get fame and glory? Well, none of us knew who he was before September 1st. Or was it solely because he loves the Lord? And as someone who knows him as a very close friend, I would say he does it because he loves the Lord. And I can use this to homage him because he'll hopefully never hear that illustration. Um, this passage when talking about the hypocrite and the servant, shouldn't be an excuse to not practice righteousness publicly. That they don't send this to pastors who are working to become ordained because they don't want us to preach or pray or serve God where people can see us. But rather they get at the heart of why are we doing those things? Are you becoming a, 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 an elder, a deacon, a children's worker, a youth, group, youth leader, in order to get your own glory or to get some people to admonish you, be like, man, you're doing a good job. Or are we doing it because we love God and we want others to love God? Part of my story and part of why I wanted to do ministry is when I was in eighth grade, we went down um, to Matamoros, Mexico, and I saw people there who loved God and who had this hope that I didn't understand. Now, I knew all the answers. I was a good Dutch Reformed uh, kid who could quote the Canons of Dort and the Heidelberg Catechism, but I never let it hit my heart until about eighth grade or so. And it wasn't because um, I didn't understand, but rather because my pride was a cork that stopped letting God's grace and salvation and molding clay drip down into my heart. And when we talk about God's Word, when we ask people to pray, whether maybe you post on Facebook or you're talking to a friend at work, that we shouldn't do it in order to bring ourselves glory, but rather to bring glory to God. I always think about, I don't know how many of you see these, but TikToks or Instagrams or YouTubes 
maybe on TV commercials where people film themselves giving homeless people money. They're like, look at me, do this nice thing for this person. It's the exact opposite of what Scripture's saying. It's one of the, the, the reasons that I love that we can now give offerings online because we don't get to chauvinist of how great we are because we give X amount of money. That a lot of people here I know serve God constantly, but you'll never hear about it. A lot of people have ministered to me. Most of you will never see them or meet them. And they don't do it for their own glory, but rather do it because they really care about me and they really care about the gospel. And serving God is not something we just do for two hours on a Sunday morning. Hopefully you're in God's Word daily. If not daily, at least when you can. I know life is busy. This is not to drag you through the mud if you don't do daily devotions, because I am one who's not great at that either. But hopefully, God's Word, Sunday mornings, aren't the only time you're diving into God's Word and letting it affect your heart. Hopefully, the only times you pray isn't when we do the psalm where we do a call and respond. Hopefully, you pray constantly. I was trying to think of a cool story or something to, to acknowledge what it means to serve God quietly. But I think a band that was more famous in the early 90s called DC Talk, some of you may have known them, but they had a song called Jesus Freak, and it's pretty rock and roll, it has some rap things in it, but they have a line near the end, if you listen to the CD, and it says, the single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus by their lips, but deny him by their lifestyle. And if that kind of upsets you, good. <laughs> we should be uncomfortable that what we say isn't always how we act. And we should be big enough, mature enough, grown up enough to acknowledge that sometimes we mess up, Right? This passage warns us of being a hypocrite. Not actively, there are those people too, but passively. It should be something we check every time we go out to serve or go out to help. Are we doing this for our glory or God's? So that leads me into the idea of following God earnestly, right? If we're praying, if we're serving, it's something that affects our whole life. It's something we do in the workplace. It's something we do um, when we're hanging out with our family and friends. Tim Keller talks about this passage, um, and, and he says, when you're, talk, when you're talking about something and you say, and, that means it's connected. He doesn't say, well, let's change the subject. Let's get on to prayer from serving. Oh, no. In Jesus' mind, in Jesus' understanding, it is people who are characterized by the most radical interiority, an incredible inner life of prayer whose lives are characterized by buoyant, promiscuous generosity, and who have the most courageous, visionary engagement with the needs of the world. Jesus does not pit these things against each other. As a matter of fact, he says that they really can't happen without each other. If you're really praying, it drives you out. That this passage isn't just a warning, but oftentimes with Jesus' sermons, it's also ascending. That as we pray more, 
as we dive into God's Word more, as we're more honest with ourselves, it should, it should make us more generous. I do mean generous. I mean in uh, Scripture it talks about if somebody asks for your coat, you give them your overcoat as well. If somebody asks you to walk a mile, you walk with them too. Maybe to put in more context, if somebody asks you to buy them a gallon of gas, you fill their tank. If somebody asks for a can of food for a food drive, you bring six. We don't do this because it makes us better Christians, but because we acknowledge that God gave us the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. That when we were shaking our fist at God, God died for us. Christ died for us. That this isn't, Christianity isn't a two-hour religion that we do on Sunday morning so we can put a cool little name uh, behind us as Reuben Amplink, the Christian. It's a lifestyle, something that affects and changes every single part of our lives. It's something that affects the way we walk and stand and love people. The early church was defined by their generosity and their love. The men's breakfast yesterday, we talked about how Peter welcomed in, welcomed in, took a meal, ate with, invited them to stay at their house with Romans, the occupying political force to the Jewish people. That he stepped outside of his own prejudice and loved them the way Christ asked him to love them. That Peter the man who saw Romans crucify his Savior, was able to look at them and say, he died for you. That's the generosity we're talking about. To step outside of our own hate, our own prejudice, and look at someone and say, you are dearly loved child of God. I want to introduce you to him. No one is beyond God's grasp. That is why this warning is here. That is why they talk about the synagogues with the horns. In ancient times, uh, if, uh, preaching was a lot like reading Scripture just constantly. And sometimes um, people would have horns and acknowledgement, and it would encourage great crowds. If you were a believer and you could hear the horns, you would go to the temple and these men or women would get up and they'd, they'd pray for, for a long time. I was about to say hours, but I don't know if it's hours. And Jesus is warning against that, not because prayer is bad or because when we get up on Sunday morning, we shouldn't pray in front of everybody with a psalm, but rather that does nothing for anyone. It's empty generosity, it's a false flag. Nothing has broken my heart more these past couple years than see men and women that I look up to, pastors, preachers, and see, although they had great words on Sunday mornings, their lives were riddled with sin and with hate and with hurt. It should be a great warning to us, a great acknowledgement to us that we don't worship a certain pastor or, or preaching style or denomination, but we worship Jesus. So 
So please don't take this passage lightly. And don't start applying it to other people before you apply it to yourself. Christianity is not a religion of judging others, but rather judging ourselves against Jesus and realizing we fall short. Pride is not something that we want to build up in the Christian church. This piety that this passage calls us to, one of giving in secret, one of praying in secret, is one of showing that if you're doing that in secret, your heart and your mind is not trying to get a lot of people to think you're cool, but rather to look to God and say, I need you. You want to hear the cool thing about that? The exciting thing about that is it's going to change you. Change is coming. Change is good. Change is exciting when it's done through Scripture, through Christ. That Galatians tells us what that change will look like in our daily lives. That we'll be more loving, more peaceful, more thankful, more joyful, more kind, more gracious. That we have to receive God humbly, and in doing so, it will admonish us and bring us closer to Him. And in doing so, the, the fruit we bear will be of good tasting and will lead people to Christ. One of the hardest things I heard in the past couple weeks is that when men and women preach on the butides, on the ideas of Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and so on and so on. In Matthew 5, that people come up afterwards and tell the preacher, we can't deal with that weak Christianity anymore. That's not weak Christianity. That's what Christ did. Christ humbled himself. The one who deserves all the honor and glory humbled himself, took on being a man, took on our sin and our shame, and got on a cross and died for me, for you, for the person you deem as your enemy, for that neighbor that bugs you, for that guy who cut you off while you're driving down the highway. He died for those people. You want to hear some good news? He didn't stay dead. That grave doesn't have any power over Jesus. That our lot in life is not to end in the dirt and to fade away into nothing, but because of what Christ did, we are to be raised up, to be given new life. And with that new life, we are called to be prayerful and generous and going out and loving our neighbor well. I had this giant page I was going to read that kind of ended the paper I wrote, but I just want to end with a verse um, from the book of Matthew. Once I find it, I'll read it. From Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
Let us all serve God well with a heart that points us and others to Christ, not to ourselves. When you pray in public, when you give in public, check your heart. Make sure it points to the one who causes you to do those things, not to yourself. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly and Most Holy Father, we thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for sending your Son to love us well, to give generously the portion of your salvation that we don't deserve. Lord, I pray we take that generosity and we give it to others, that we become lights that point people ultimately to you, that your church grows, Lord. We know it's going to happen. We ask that we get to be a part of that, if it is your will. We thank you and we love you. Amen.